Welcome to the Truth to Power Show in Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VGR Nathan, and with us today is co-host Bruce Whitaker. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, good morning, VJ. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. And our special featured guest today is uh, Audrey Demola, Queens NYC native. She's a bearer of legend, alchemical artist and poet, event curator, sacred space holder, and ecotherapist in training, exploring the healing interrelation of myth, mental health, and the ecologies of spirit. She self-published four books of poetry and prose, including Wild Light and the Book of Legend, uh, performed in venues both intimate and massive around New York City. Uh, for the past four years, she has proudly served as the Director of Public Programs at Long Island City's wondrous outdoor art space, Socrates Sculpture Garden, where she's been playing and dreaming since she was a little girl. Uh, welcome, Audrey. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, thank you. So why don't we start the conversation off a little bit about um, your poetry and how it's been a kind of form of, um, you know, you say a proponent of radical vulnerability and uh, is an active proponent of radical vulnerability and sharing a kin-centered relation to all things, animal, plant, spirit, human, peer-centered, holistic, alternative, traditional narratives that are often disempowering and disconnected. Um, so these seem to be, seem to be, this is also a little bit from your bio, but these seem to be very much informed, informing the, my reading of uh, the Book of Legend and, uh, and a little bit of Wildlife. So tell us a little bit about how you kind of envision your writing or your thesis, if you will, or your writing's mission. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I love that you mentioned the the vulnerability. Yeah. I've, I've been writing since I was a kid. And just as I got older, being able to share in that way really did save my life, you know, and being able to stand in front of a mic, of course, or just put things out on social media and, and talk to people and course at first it started off kind of more shrouded in metaphor and <laughs> imagery but then as as time went on you know that was a torch that I could could bear and I started realizing you know like what is so personal to me is universal at the same time if, if I am putting out my truth and standing behind it people are going to feel it and to stop you know assuming what a room needs or stop assuming that people won't get it or that it's too much or that mm. whatever it is, you know, to just literally stand as a messenger. Cause that's what I feel like the words are. They're never just poetry. It's, it is alchemy. Something happens in, in the words and in the energy. Um, and I've, I've been really humbled and surprised by it more and more over the years. Yeah. We've had a few guests saying that they're like channeling, from like the spiritual guides or from like different things do you believe that and how do you look at um because when you're looking inward you're looking outward or that inner outer dichotomy or whether or not there's like a uh a guide or some kind of outer uh like god or divine power that's kind of helping you out there what do you think about that Yes, a million percent. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely would not be here without whatever you'd like to call, right? God, spirit, definitely my, my guides. I have an amazing spirit family, to say the least. But uh, I love that you mentioned that as well. And I, and I feel like I started recognizing that pivot point when this started happening. And I feel like I was 25. Mm. And, you know, like we were just talking about, always been writing you know, and it's autobiographical, right? I'm just writing what is happening in, in my life, usually about 
heartache and whatever <laughs> darkness uh and then suddenly at some point you realize that something another voice is coming through you and it's you but it's not you and um for me there were there were two poems one called sifting and one called transfiguration and you just realize that yeah it's it's a voice up above you somehow that is also a part of you and more and more as years have gone by that that voice we've been co-creating together it's been standing on its own and yeah an energy exchange is is happening so totally i believe in that can I ask a mundane question? Do you write yes. with a pen or do you write directly on your phone or your computer? I love that question. Because <laughs> it Definitely. ties into what you just said. Like, how do you channel best, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. They they get me everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I still am the person who, like, when, this was actually, you know, like a week or so ago, I, I, I like taking wandering walks without my phone specifically. And sometimes I'll forget to bring paper and then I'll just have like whatever scrap in my little belly bag, you know, and I'm writing with the pen on whatever edge I have left on whatever I have. And so I feel like that's so authentic and something that's carried over since I was younger too. So love writing with the pen, can, can write on the phone, can write in the computer, but the force of it kind of dictates <laughs> what's going to happen. And I, I've started doing voice memos too, um, only this year really, which has been pretty interesting to just kind of trust the, the force of the words. Yeah. yeah, a lot of poets compose, they say in their head, but I call it by voice. Um, yeah. And that's something I write a lot of poetry and I, it's not, I am not there. Um, I am not a performative poet at all. So uh, that doesn't, I don't really, but I do feel it's almost like a Ouija board, like writing by hand to me taps into something that just doesn't happen anywhere else. And um, I've been writing a lot of uh, old family stories. My grandparents told me or whatever when I was a kid. And in some cases, as I flush these bare bones stories out, I almost feel like they're standing over my shoulder telling me, and this is what happened actually, or this was the deeper part of that side of it. I've, I've really felt close to those people as I've been uh, going through these stories. They're gone now. So yeah. this is obviously coming from this uh, alchemy of uh, putting down uh, these old stories and things. Yeah. And, and your invitation, I feel like, to them, you know, mm, I, I yeah. like in, in anything, right, with the natural world, with the spirit world, I think we always forget, you know, we, we can give invitations to, to humans, hopefully, <laughs> but I think we yeah. forget that, you know, these forces also, you know, work on, on permission and you kind of giving them a moment and yourself a moment, you know. But, uh, so something. many classics in literature begin with an invitation, you know, a <laughs> yeah. summons uh, and con through contemporary work, you know, speak memory and all these summonses that, that writers put out. Uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, working with your ancestors is definitely a, a very essential element of the alchemical process. I think kind of uh, alchemy, uh, just to be able to invoke what's inside your like DNA, that yeah. what kind of stories are inside your body that have been passed down through the generations so yeah yes i yeah. for the first time ever i took a trip abroad last september and i got to go back to uh i got to go to italy for the first time and i got to go to my dad's 
birthplace in southern Italy. So that's what I was exactly thinking of when you were saying, you know, working yeah. with the ancestors and just that southern Italian magic being on the sea. And <laughs> I, I felt the, the town is called Polignano Amare. And I, I felt like a piece of myself was re-engaged and replaced in, and, re, and re-inspired inside of me that I didn't know was missing. Mm. It was the craziest feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's very nice. You could do that. That's uh, your family comes from a lovely part of Italy too, that uh, Puglia and, and the yes. area in your body, and yeah, yes. very yeah. nice. So, uh, so talking about place, another factor of what you're working with is ecotherapy. And uh, perhaps you view this trip as part of that, but could you explain to us kind of what that is and how you're working with that? Yeah. So the wonderful thing about ecotherapy for me is that it feels like a secular term, a term that people can grasp onto for things that I feel like are more spiritual and, and ephemeral. And also, you know, a, a word that carries forward right in this kind of different maybe secular way what our indigenous brothers and sisters have been doing this whole time which is mm. reverence to the world to the more than human world to plant and animal kin to spirit um and it's and it's bringing it forward as a you know a legitimate form of of therapy which is mm. um you know one of the the kind of prime ways that I have been able to heal so much. So, so it is healing. It's, it's therapy and therapeutic, you know, mo modalities and, and modes and philosophies um, that grow out of a reciprocal relationship with nature, not one in which that you're just going out, you're sitting in front of a tree. It's so beautiful, you know, or like, <laughs> or, uh, you know, you sit, you sit in front of a river and you kind of just like dump all your sorrows onto it and then you leave. It's recognizing that again, right? There's an energy exchange. There is this reciprocal relationship that can be built that can become a, a backbone for you, especially when in the throes of, you know, mental health struggles. So does that include like making a garden or what, how yes, does that, can you go exactly. a little more into like, what can, what can we offer, uh, you know, nature or natural world, you know, is that yeah. like planting seeds? There's so many things that, that are part of ecotherapy, which is also what I, yeah. what I love, you know, it can even be, you know, going out into, you know, the mountains, wilderness, like wilderness therapy can be animal assisted therapy, yeah. like you're saying, yeah, horticultural therapy, making a garden. Yeah. There's so many, there's so many avenues, but I, I think that that is really the, the emphasis of recognizing the spirit in, in the natural world, recognizing the sentience of, of everything around us. Um, and, and, and for me, you know, before I even knew about ecotherapy, coming through this through, you know, earth-based healing traditions, like I was mentioning, yeah, getting to know indigenous traditions um, and under understanding that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, I always seem to have it. Okay. Uh, so now talking a little bit about, uh, you know, what experiences like were thresholds and reflections and watershed process in your watershed moments in your, in your process. Uh, so, and how you got to this point or how you developed to the point where you're able to, you know, have a community with nature, all this kind of thing. And you can talk a little bit about that, those experiences and, 
and how they inform your your writing yeah i i love that you say threshold yeah <laughs> and uh yeah what i kind of wanted to bring in in here is yeah there's you know there is this whole um recognition and reciprocal relationship with with nature part and then with that is myth is mm. legend is this this experience of of the extraordinary and and story in everyday life and just a, such a, a turning point moment you know I, I i was creating and and nurturing this relationship with nature that allowed me to feel held in my you know immensity of brokenness but then learning about joseph campbell and the hero's journey was life-changing and it gave me a framework that was literally a moment to understand the threshold that I was was crossing in my in my own mental health journey. Mm. I could go like further into that if if you like. Yeah, I mean, I think that my exposure to like stuff like tantric Buddhism or Buddhism in general, but then specifically in the Vajrayana path, is about how we visualize ourselves as the deity or as the hero going through this journey. And we're trying to embody, you know, the pure land in our life. And it seems to be very much connected to the hero's journey because this hero's journey is not something about someone else. It's about our journey and, and embodying that journey and kind of living that journey and being able to see from that perspective that this is like the truth, even though um, I don't know, I just struggle a little bit with, you know, we think about like, on the one hand, we have all the science and this facts and these, you know, verification and third party verification, peer reviewed and all that. And then we have like a movement towards embodying truth and the alchemy of like, you know, what perception is reality. And like, you know, if we perceive ourselves to be pure, then we will embody purity. I know like this kind of these kinds of things are going through my mind right now. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love all of that. Thank you so much yeah, for, for mentioning that. I, I feel like it's such a, a rich tradition through all the lenses of all these different cultures. And, yeah. and what a phrase that you said of embodying truth, yeah. I think is so huge for my journey and, and, and can be for so many people's journeys because it, it is that pivot point between what is outside of you? You know, the expert says this, this is what my diagnosis says, this is what, you know, and to, to kind of relocalize that center in yourself. Could you just walk through, because Campbell, a lot of people may not be too familiar with Campbell's approach, what, in very simple terms, what, um, what are some of the archetypes he works with and, and how do you find them relating to this idea of the inside, the outside manifestation and thresholds and things like that? Yeah. So the hero's journey is kind of, yeah, very similar to what BJ was just, was just saying is literally, yeah, again, like localizing yourself yeah. as the hero in this journey and um, would encourage everyone to actually like pop it into Google so you can see the image. The image that I think is, is most helpful is literally of a circle split in half. And for me, it was showing the necessity of both sides of this circle, especially with regard to, you know, mental health journeys is that, everyone tells you to stay on the top side of the circle, yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone's telling you to stay in the overworld, stay in the light, but inherently in the hero's journey, you're supposed to cross the threshold. You're supposed to go into the underworld because there's information there, because there's a journey, there's a call to adventure. 
And so there's a purpose to literally kind of traverse through the, you know, the entirety of this circle. So that, which I think is like one of the most amazing parts of this, you go on this adventure so that you can bring the treasure, bring the boon back to mm. your community. You don't just go on this for your own accord. You know, you're not meant to get lost in the bottom half of the circle, get lost in the underworld. You're meant to return and bring this gift of what you experience to your community. So that's like in very simple terms. Yeah, that reminds me of two things right away. One was I'm uh, in this group we're reading uh, Mrs. Dalloway and huh? uh, Virginia Woolf has had, she, you know, there's two characters. There's the hostess and then there's the uh, PTSD World War One vet who eventually has something terrible happen to him, but both they were both elements of Virginia Woolf, and she says that the her mental problems are really where her best material came from. I'm very badly paraphrasing, but she she went to that dark side and brought back a lot of the work she put into a page, and uh, so that's one thing that came to mind as you were saying that of the, what what you get from going to the dark side and the artistic benefits of that. So um, that's, that's really, an, an, uh, I think what, what part of what makes Campbell so, so crucial. And uh, he seems to be having a, uh, he was very big 35 years ago. There was that famous Bill Moyers uh, interview series, yeah. but he seems to be coming back in a way. Um, and uh, you know, it's uh, with this kind of shapeshifter time we're in. It's appropriate that we would be looking at that. I think. Perfect word. Yeah, trickster <laughs> spirit, trickster medicine, coyote medicine. This is like flip all these <laughs> perceptions, yeah. and and that that's where my usage of the word legend actually came from. From Joseph Campbell in one of those interviews, saying to convert life into legend. Yeah, it came. Mm. It came from him, and and also I want to uplift the name of Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who wrote uh, "Women Who Run with the Wolves," because that was kind of my my feminine. You know, it was like the balance of Joseph Campbell on one side and her on the other, and so she was doing um, uh, pretty much a similar thing. And as a as a woman, a, a curandera from multiple um, heritages and histories, and also a Jungian psychoanalyst, she was putting together. Um, legends and stories from all different cultures and offering it in this incredible little tome in addition mm. to all these other books that she's written so that that yeah. actually uh for me came before even getting to know joseph campbell yeah. why don't we take a moment to uh, listen a little bit from your work uh we can listen for a few minutes or like we can take a little time to really digest kind of how these themes are uh represented in a, in a short selection uh, or a selection, and then we can kind of go from there. It'll give the listeners a little more grounding in kind of the imagery. And uh, I think you, you you start off, but maybe something with the two wolves because that's something that is very um, kind of in a symbol or an image that we can really latch on to. Yeah, I mean, would would you like me to read that that's that story, or should I read? Yeah, I read that story for now, and I'll give you another opportunity to read towards the 40 45 minute mark as well yeah, yeah. so i'll thank you for allowing me to share this this story i don't thank i don't you. get to very very often but um uh just super quick context is that this is the way that i recontextualized my um diagnosis of bipolar 2 was with this legend of the two wolves i'm standing 
on the bridge. The light is piercing, blue pervading. Can I just be here? I whisper. Can I just stay? I stare across the bridge, the river roiling on the other side. It begins to rain and all I can hear is that. The black wolf is standing before me, waiting, completely calm. Thunder cracks, but even in such a way that it does not startle him. The wind rustles his fur, but he stands inert. You must come with me, he says. I walk to the middle of the bridge, ghostly. I do not want to go, I whisper, tears welling, bald, quiet fists. You must come with me, he repeats, the rain falling harder. Get your lantern, we must go. I turn back towards the white wolf. There are blue feathers tied into his fur, the same ones tied tight under my shoulder. He nods and I feel the weight of the lantern handle on my fingers. I open the glass window, press my fingers against the wick. It lights. There are rusty remnants of flame there, discolorations of his skin and paws. The black wolf's eyes are not unkind, just knowing. It is the nature of this life, child, he says, looking past me to the white wolf. You must spend your time walking with us both. I closed the window, holding the lantern up so close that I could feel its warmth against my skin. You know that when I go with you, I am almost never able to return, I said, inhaling sharply to dissolve the emotion welling in my throat. You know that every time feels longer than the last, the candle flickering wildly, endless even. I looked at him through the rain and the silence, the licks of lightning in the distance, the wind trembling the bridge. You do not trust me the way you trust the other. The white wolf did not move at this acknowledgement, blue and turquoise feathers dancing wave-like around its face. You do not trust what this is, the black wolf offered again, motioning to the storming landscape with his dark, strong head. How can I trust? I offered explosively, nearly flinging the lamp, when it never seems I'll make it out again. <clears throat> I forget everything about myself. I forget my hands are for digging, but anything to disappear. Thunder rumbled low. I outstretched my hand. My fingers are still dirty from the last time. Still tired, still split. The black wolf smiled, fangs startling white in his shock of ashen fur. You are afraid this story has an ending. He whispered, moving closer, touching the end of his snout to my palm. I pulled my hand away. It burned. I thought you were the fire, my child. His amber eyes narrowed. It doesn't matter what I thought I was, I said quickly. All the stories burn away where you are. None of the stories end. They just burn and burn and burn. It's why I... I steadied myself against the mind space. The black wolf bowed and began walking in the opposite direction. He paused and in a moment he turned. It's why, what? I looked at the burn mark on my palm glowing like an alchemical brand. I took a breath, opened the lamp window and blew on the fire. It surged with light, with anger, with hope. I watched it flashing then closed the door. I turned back to the white wolf, then once more to the black wolf. 
the rain slicked off of me like I had a second skin. It is why I must creature of amber and wild like curled his jaw slightly blinked slow in that way only animals do to say things to each other without words i will see you again the white wolf said from behind me know that i will see you again the you that is true beyond all this beyond this story beyond the light we throw the shadow we cast how high we climb how deep we dig i raised my lantern to him shining like a beacon in the downpour turned away and took a step. I was on my way. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> so it's really great how, you know, this these creation of these um, internal journey, this inner journey into the um, underworld and such is like, is, 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 something that's reflected in all of our journeys. It's like universal and yet at the same time, very specific to one person's journey and how that's, and it just really speaks to the architecture of the human mind and how there's only, there's only um, so many pathways that we can take and, and how we're all converging on the same pathways, I guess. I don't know, but we seem to, I think the, the, the miss, uh, the mistake is that we seem to think that we're all so unique and we're also, you know, that our journey and that, that uniqueness or that specialness carries with that burden because it's like, oh, then it's just all about me. It's all about my ideas and my life and it's separate. But actually, I think this is discovering that we're all interconnected, that, you know, we're all kind of, um, we have that special connection that we're reflecting in each other, our own processes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shared landscape yeah. of, of myth. You know, yeah. everyone's kind of kingdom and, and wilderness leads into the other, mm. you know, and, and maybe, you know, my black wolf and white wolf are coming another guise for you, you know, but it's the same energy. It, it is this this guide with this particular feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're with a thousand faces, right? <laughs> yeah, I think definitely like the kind of uh, way in which society makes things uh, so clean and like, oh, there's only, there's only, you know, all, all things are light, all things are reflected in you. But then we have to realize that things get messy and things get kind of like more, uh, you know, drawing outside the lines and, and, yes. you know, all this kind of thing and how, and how that kind of messiness is part of the process so it's not all going to be all neat in, in the in the boxes yeah yeah and and yeah. that's specifically the this place that myth can hold myth can mm. hold the tension between mm. the two myth is exactly what you're saying it's messy it's slippery yeah. right like as bruce was saying it's this like trickster energy yeah um and, it, and it's so necessary for these times because nothing is clean cut yeah. <laughs> in that way we have to hold this tension we have to be able to walk back and forth and cross thresholds and not delude ourselves to just yeah stay in the top light half of the circle then the bottom yeah. doesn't exist <laughs> yeah i think that's part of the uh you know being having had some experience with bipolarity in my family and things you see where science is to, uh, quite out of its element actually when dealing with the human mind at that level that yep. It can sort of, you know, it always has the hammer when it needs, you know, the fine finger on the harp or something. And 
Oh my God, what a beautiful <laughs> statement. <laughs> but that's, you know, anyway, sorry. But it, it just kind of, but I think you're offering the prospect of myth and creating these other paradigms can help people to, um, you know, along with their normal, so-called normal treatment, to find a narrative to help pull themselves through things like this, because you can't do it on chemicals alone, as, as uh, yeah. wonderful as they can be. They're just, they just, they have such, uh, they're not tailored for that person, and they have their own limitations, and we're more complex than chemistry in some way. Absolutely. I love, yeah, I love everything that you just, that you just, <laughs> it, it, it is about this, this radical view of, of mental health and this creative recontextualization of your experience. And I, and I always like to say that I'm not, you know, I feel like it comes across that way. Sometimes I'm not anti-medication. I, I have, you know, many friends who are artists also who have been helped very much by them. You know, for, for me, it wasn't my way what I really am anti of <laughs> is, you know, anti lack of choices, lack of education, lack of this kind of more expansive view of, of what it can be. You know, you're, you're just churned through the system in the biomedical model. Usually. Yeah. Yeah. And one yeah. of the, going back to Virginia Woolf, even in Mrs. Dalloway, and I think throughout her work, she had enormous contempt for doctors mm. and was under, and those imagine mental health treatment in her time, but she was chronically ill at times um, and uh, just was, was not able to find any kind of home in that, in that world for herself. So, um, but it's, uh, we're, I think in a little better place now. But, I love that yeah. you're mentioning Virginia also. I have a poem in, in Wildlight. There, there's two poems towards the end mm. that, that mention Virginia, actually, because I, I do. I've, I've felt much affinity with, with writers and artists who have this mental health struggle. And for some of them, you know, Sylvia Plath, obviously, or like Van Gogh, we know, right? It's like, that's what happened to them. But there are other ones who I've loved very much, even like you know, uh, Herman Hesse, Raina Maria Rilke, you know, they have a mental illness or, or, you know, mental health history that kind of is like glazed over with this flourish in their bio. And it's like, wait, wait, what? You know, he spent time oh, yeah. in asylum and it's just like a sentence in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, or, or Rambo, you know, he just suddenly yeah. stopped writing and went off and became a merchant in Africa. You know, like what, what was that about? You know, what, what was that journey for him? <laughs> um, and was he not, you know, self-medicating in the smartest possible way he could? Because um, he, he had actually quite a nice life off in Africa until he was injured. But um, the other place that I came to mind was that there's a book called Black Elk Speaks, which you're probably familiar with. It's about a Sioux oh, yes. visionary. And uh, one of the things that uh, I've been kind of looking over that again is, the sense of responsibility of the seer to the culture. Because I think part of where this can go, this is my journey, my legend, my hero, can have a, uh, a sort of self-indulgence side of it. And yeah. I think that we need to remember, and this is what I want to ask about how the hero, what does the hero do when Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies in the middle of an election? <laughs> Um, and, and what is the uh, what kind of uh, answers can can a path like this offer to people who are all grasping for a way to cope with these uh, this whole year, really? Yeah, I love that you asked that that question. And, and in 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 my life, actually, as a as a Leo, I can be super in in my mind and and in my own journey, right? Even in like an egoist kind of way. 
So I, I think, yeah, in, inherently having a part of the hero's journey, that it's vital that what you do serves your community, what you do heals your community. And obviously, you know, I don't have one pinpointed answer, but I, I think that like in this this year and, and all of this, all of, you know, this this time, the thing that has been so helpful to me that I've noticed also in, in friends and other people is bringing that, that center within the self that is connected to the all and finding grounding in what you know to be true, even if it is not reflected in the world right now to, I think, cause I think that's the danger when so much is happening that seems so out of our control. So many awful things, horrible things, unexpected things. We forget the futuring action. We forget how we forget the necessity, literally life and death necessity of the futuring action and of the dream with a capital D. If we forget that that our dreams and our rootedness and our center can grow away out of this, then it is all lost. Truly, you know, if if we just kind of stick our heads in in, in the sand. Not saying that sticking your head in that, like, you need to self-care. You need to take a break. You need to shut off the news. Like, you do need to do that. But if we forget that, that we can make change in, in these small ways within ourselves, within our own community, you know, there, there's so many beautiful people stepping forward, you know, and really reclaiming their histories and their narratives from being totally oppressed or erased or destroyed and that's huge. People going back into their own healing lineages, you know, expanding our um, awareness of, of what is true and what is real, including there's an amazing group called Queer Nature. I like so recommend. And just the idea of, of queerness in itself, just expanding the bounds of the world, like we have to do that. So speaking of responsibility, you know, we have a responsibility to each other to stay alive and dream in these ways that only we can mm. that the powers yeah. that be clearly are not capable of and purposely want to squash out and wring out from everyone because they know the power of the dream with the capital d yeah, yeah. it seems like they are uh people in power are so disconnected from the community so disconnected from the reality of our experiences that we need to kind of, but it's my question of like, like just running into the fire. We need to have that kind of, uh, you know, semblance of groundingness in our heart. Then we, then we kind of are more prepared to go into. So we, we're kind of embodying the, the, um, I don't know, the uh, alchemical process of, uh, you know, kind of. So we have something to fight with, and that's yeah, why the process that. of going to the psyche. Kind of discovering that gift so that then we can bring that gift uh, to the community and we have something to add to the conversation. We have something to bring to the tables that will help the community because they have not everyone has gone through that journey. So, yes. you know, and especially they're vulnerable in that sense to this kind of rhetorical or rhetoric uh, argument, this kind of fight that, that these people in power have that they manipulate um yep. the argument so it sounds like it's totally different than what it really is about yeah yeah and that goes back to what you're saying before right this this relocalization of of tr uh the embodiment of of truth and yeah. disconnecting from all of these other narratives and something that you just said about 
I love that that you said not just rushing into the fire and knowing what you're fighting with, having something to fight with. Because I I have have a a tattoo on my arm right here. And uh, it it came out of a a short conversation with, with spirit, you know, and me saying that I'm, I'll actually, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It was, you know, it's, it's in, it's in, it's in the book of legend and they're asking me, what do you wield warrior? And I say the sword I've pulled from my own heart and they say, and you do not wish to carry it forward. Do you wish to carry it forward, you know, with you on your journey? And I say, I wish to only carry a prayer to see and be seen. Hmm. And that's been huge in my life to, to put down the sword, not fight like they are fighting. Hmm. You know, that's the only thing that I will offer and I will stand with the prayer to see and be seen for, for myself and, and for others. Yeah, it seems like one of the questions about what you hope readers will get out of your writing, what you hope you, to gift to them uh, when they sit down, they're kind of reading through your writing. Uh, I think seeing your journey as their journey is part of it, like being able to not just thinking of it as like, oh, it's, this is about you and your journey, but rather seeing it as, a, as an invitation to take that journey themselves, but sorry, I didn't mean to answer the question for you, but I want to kind of, you know, invite you to oh. also, uh, that's my perspective as the reader, uh, you know, kind of like what, what my journey is, uh, uh, you know, when I read your work, um, but I also want to invite you to, to give your own kind of intentional, uh, intentions when you write, uh, yeah, you, yeah. I, I, I think, no, and I, I love, you answered it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, kind of going back to the beginning, we were talking about, uh, you know, spirit coming through and, and being a, a channel. For, for me, the most important thing, I, I have to be a pure channel. I have to just let this come through. And whatever it is that's going to happen doesn't belong to me. You know, all, all I have to care about is the purity of that, message and and the realness of it and all the you know blood sweat guts and everything and and the messiness just offer the truth you know that's what i was i was told by nature some years ago speak plainly and it has been very difficult for me to speak plainly especially you know mentioning kind of weaving everything in with metaphor and myth and like how do you just stand how do you just state the facts (laughs) because then yeah i i think that when you work in a pure way i think that when you work with myth and you work with this landscape and this wilderness that exists in in all of us there's something primordial that happens that does not belong to me you know there there have been times that that i'll read and i'll share and people are crying and i i have to check myself and be like that's not because like i'm an amazing performer you know what i mean that's because something is activated in their guts that is bigger than me and them and everything and that's what i want to keep carrying and the only way that i can do that is to stay humble and stay yeah pure as a as a messenger um and you never know what you know the seeds that you plant will grow maybe you'll get to see them maybe you won't you know Mm. maybe you know i've i've had people say that like they can't read my books (laughs) they they try and they're like i'm crying on the first page and i'm leaving it alone you know or just like i can't do this right now and and for me it's right like i i cannot have any sense of frustration with that i need to know like that book is there for you when and if 
it's time for you. I had this experience actually with um, friends of Khalil Gibran is uh, Mikhail Naimi, and he wrote the book of Murdad, which a lot of people don't know about. Someone told me about it. And that book is sheer, actually, it's like right on my table. Brilliance in a way that like, I, I've had this book for years and years and years and years. I was not able to read it until this year. Mm. And it's just thing like things that carry that alchemical medicine, that energy, like you are not ready until you're ready for it. And it actually says that it, it, it literally, <laughs> let me see if I can read it super, super quickly. Yeah. This is a lighthouse and a haven for those who yearn to overcome. Let all others beware of it. Mm-hmm. Like, boom. <laughs> so just putting, putting that out into the world and letting it, letting it have its own life, detaching it from, from ego, from my work, from like making money off of selling self-published books or whatever it is. You know, there's, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I want to ask about, you have this wonderful role with this, with Socrates Sculpture Park. And um, I think one of the benefits of the pandemic has been a really new focus on authenticity of the nonprofit world. You know, all of the uh, uh, white theater, we see you, the work that the Guggenheim is going through. Um, most large institutions are facing some of these things. How does this journey play out in your public role and, and as a worker in the arts? Um, because I think there's really new attention to what people bring to these kinds of positions and these kinds of roles now. Thank you for bringing that up. I think it's been a been huge for, for, for this moment for people to stand behind their words, man. You know, you cannot just like put in a, you know, a, an equality and diversity statement up on your website and then keep doing the things that you've been doing. And, and for me, you know, I have a really interesting relationship with Socrates because um, I grew up playing there. That's been my park since I was a little girl. And uh, it's, it's been <laughs> such a, a challenge and an adventure and uh, life-saving portal into my true self working for Socrates for the past four years. And so for, for me, you know, I, you, when you're doing work like this, you know, director of public programs, what does that mean, right? Like I'm, I'm curating all of the events and the festivals and the movies and the fitness and, you know, uh, all, all this stuff. But really at the end of the day, I'm a servant of people. Like that's what I am, you know? And, and when I go out there and I hold that mic and I host and I, you know, whatever people or, you know, community organizations I bring into this park, it's me, it's, it's my blood. You know, there is no separation. And the work at Socrates is the same as my work in, in other realms. And I, it's been really important to me personally to, to continue to be vocal and vulnerable while holding a position like that. For me, it's been important to show that, yeah, you can be in community, you can work with people, you can be a director, and you can also be having all of these other things happen. You can be having a mythic journey and a mental health struggle and (laughs) shamanic (laughs) awakening. And this is all true at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) So this is, I just want to remind listeners, this is the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. We're talking to Audrey Damola, and we have Bruce Whitaker uh, here with us, uh, co-host. And I'm the host, VGR Nathan. Um, so now, yeah, so we were talking a little bit about Socrates' Sculpture Garden and how the arts have been affected by the 
um, by the uh, coronavirus and the pandemic and all that. And uh, and how how have you how's your journey been? Uh, checking in with your journey in regards to the pandemic, how has your journey been affected by that, or in any wow. way has has that affected kind of like um, the way in which you process your uh, psychic journey? Yeah, I've I've been able to localize in my life and in my center in a way I literally have never have in in my life. It's mm. very strange and was very painful at the beginning because yeah you you have this that tension point right this is a mythic tension of all these things are true at the same time you know uh like people are literally dying you know our you know our broken system is collapsing before our eyes and i and at the same time i'm finding something in myself that's telling me this is why i stayed alive I was supposed to be here for this moment. And I feel like mm. many people have felt that, that call, you know, that like this kind of work, you know, that I felt like I've been wrangling with for years and suffering with and being on these edges and being on the edges of, of death constantly. And this questioning, this mythic, you know, it, it brings you to this, this point. And, um, you know, that coupled with, this is the first time in, in four years that I haven't had this, <laughs> incredibly robust you know brutal logistical and schedule wise schedule of uh events at socrates it's the first time it is just poof gone out mm. of my hands all the all the work and everything that i planned for this year it was just up in smoke you know and and just to be with the ephemerality of that to be broken out of these patterns right these grooves that we just fall in and we think like this is what we need to do and we just need to keep it going and to just have that time and i i think that's why you know aside from you know the physical manifestations of of the virus it was and has been such a time of deep and difficult reflection to be with self because so many of us can't we have this necessity of addiction of distraction and we are not where we, we can we literally cannot hold our own reflection and that's been so important and i feel like you know the those beings on earth that can uh not even just can but are willing to be in the tension that there's such a gift there there is a boon there <laughs> mm. to bring out and and bring forward I, I don't even yeah i don't even think the point is to you know succeed in doing it it's the willingness to like i'm gonna stand in front of this mirror and i'm gonna try to look at myself and do i don't know what i'm gonna find <laughs> yeah do you see patterns that you want to keep once things go back to whatever normal will be in a few months or a year or two uh, are there changes you want to make as, as things as, once we can all do what we want instead of what we have to do. Uh, how will how will life be different? Yes. Oh my God. I I grew up in a, a household that was always kind of rushing, and <laughs> we were always late. There was always something happening. My I always said like my family crest is never a dull moment <laughs> for the good and the bad of that statement, right? Mm. And for me to literally like this is something else that plays into the the myth work and the legend work king making 
there's this whole thing about like creating a king within yourself, especially me as a, you know, a feminine identifying person to balance my, my masculine. And I feel like this time for me has been king making. Um, and that king energy, that animus energy has allowed me to create structures that can hold me. And it's everything from the simplicity of not really eating out, cooking for myself every day, making my bed, meditating, <laughs> and also just like literally vehemently rejecting this old culture of, of rushing and just this overstress for no reason. And, you know, we, we at Socrates have done two thus far um big live stream performances and it was very interesting for me to you know the park was closed and we were streaming it but it was still you know performance that we were doing in, in real life and to kind of dip this new self into that old world and really feel the tension of those opposites and be like oh no <laughs> i have to do this differently you know and to not kind of want to offer myself as the sacrificial lamb and really mm. put more boundaries in what I'm mm. doing and more intentionality, more, more space. You know, that I think is something that that's what the King holds, you know, it's yeah. like, there's no going back after that. And, and, uh, any kind of like slippage back into that, I feel like I've been, I've been feeling it. And, yeah. uh, yeah, the universe yeah. has my number now. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, and then, yeah, and the nonprofit world has grown on the sacrifice of employees. You know, the, yes. the, the, the human capital put into those so far exceeded the financial capital. And, and it's an unsustainable model. And yes. um, yeah. so that's the, that's the challenge to find a way to, to balance that and find and not go into a scarcity mentality that yeah oh gee we can't now you know or whatever so yeah, uh, it's, yeah. that's going to be an ongoing part of the hero's journey to, yes. <laughs> to navigate this challenge i also wanted to share this uh cartoon or this uh, this my version of this cartoon from salt and pepper where it's like the guy is going to a guru and he's like and he goes, uh, I'd like to uh, be enlightened, but I'd like to, of course, keep my fiscal administrative skills. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I like to keep that. You know, <laughs> I like to be higher stages of consciousness, but I like to keep, of course, my fiscal and administrative skills. I think it's really interesting because it's like, well, the first time I read that, I was like, oh, that's funny, you know, whatever. But then it really hit me at different levels, like how, like, getting to these higher stages of consciousness means or, or being awakened means, like, kind of maybe perhaps, you know, being a master of both worlds and, like, or connecting these two worlds so that then you're not like totally out in that space world, but you're not totally away from, you know, what connectedness we have with kind of the mundane and the, the normal and all that, you know? Yes. I love saying that. Cause that was exactly my experience. I was completely untethered. I was totally in, in spirit yeah. and I, I didn't have these boundaries to be held. Yeah. In, in the mundane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I, my theory is that the mundane is the test of the vision, you know, that and, uh, in some way that your ability to handle those details is how you manifest the wisdom you've gained on the journey in some way. And a lot of uh, I'm a, also a Buddhist practitioner. A lot of great masters have said things to that effect that paying attention to the finest detail is uh, the way to keep themselves tethered, as you say, to keep from just becoming air, 
Yeah. Um, and so I, I do want to maintain my physical skills, but I also want to do it with a sense of generosity and compassion and wisdom. But yeah. <laughs> yes. That's yeah. the, uh, you know, yeah. the, like the perfect bodhisattva is the person who can do, can see what you need and actually deliver it, not just say, oh, I feel so bad for you. you know? Yeah. Why yeah. would this is one more work, uh, one more piece selection from your writing? Because uh, it's already getting to 53, so we only have a few more minutes, but I wanted to give you a chance to read them. That would selection. be great, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my. Just, thank you guys so much for, for seeing me and inviting me and thank having you. a conversation. This has been thrilling. It's lovely to yeah. meet you, Audrey. Yeah, we're both featured in Poets of Queens anthology, so people should look that up as we well. We are! Look! Yeah. Poets of Queens, I also yeah. have this on my table. <laughs> yeah. Poets of Queens uh, anthology by edited by Alina Jennings. So people should look that up on Amazon. And, <clears> and really, we'll be reading be together, reading right? October 4th. Yeah. 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 Okay. Woof. <laughs> I do not come to make a map for you to plot the course for you. You and only you can do this. My guides will not be your guides. My legend will not be your legend but it is my hope in sharing where I have been, what I have been through, that a potentiality for yours will burst open or begin to blossom. If it is a choice between having solely the options you are being presented with, and alternatively, the options that you and only you can write, create, and describe, what do you wish for? Power stripped or power reclaimed? Darkness traversed or darkness feared, a broken mind that needs to be fixed or a teeming landscape of lesson and legend that you can bravely quest and explore. This is not for the faint of heart. This is not easy. This is not clean. This is not without struggle, without blood, without nearing the edges of existence, the edges of death. But in my heart and in my opinion, if we all heave a last breath anyway, and either way, why not fill your living lungs with the breath of adventure and leave a story behind along the way? Why not begin a quest to exalt and reclaim and rediscover the most wonderful and worthy hero there is? Yourself. <laughs> very, very nice. Congratulations. That's really thank you. Lovely to hear. Thank you. Thank you guys. If there's if there's one more if there's one more second, I would love to just offer this super quick. This yeah. is just like a prayer to teach others to see by seeing. Teach others to understand by understanding. Lead others to walk by walking, but walk beside them and not in front. Walk with them as I walk with you, and we shall see these coming days already in fruition, in every righteous action resolving inaction, in every fiery force of love resolving fear. Thank you, thank you. I'll leave it on that. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, it seems to me that the going into the heart and the journey into the heart, the journey into the underworld, the journey into these special places where we can unlock these treasures it seems to me sometimes I think the perception is that we have to work so hard on these journeys that we have to like, you know, do so much effort, but actually it should come joyfully and naturally, you know, it should come, uh, 
you know, it shouldn't be like something that we're like going against the grain. We should be like, or at least our own mental grain. We should just allow the flow to happen through us and just, you know, permitting and surrendering to that flow. So we're not over planning. I know like for all the years I've had many plans uh, that have not, you know, materialized. And it's, it's just the, the point of over planning is like, is something that is very chronic in our, in our culture. Yes. And just doing, 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 yeah. doing, 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 yeah. you know, forgetting what it's like to be bored, forgetting what it's like to have space and yeah, yeah go for a walk without your phone and all that. Yeah. Definitely. So I just want to, just also, as we wind down, just remind listeners, this is the Radio Free Brooklyn, uh, Truth to Power show. Uh, you know, Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c nonprofit organization. Uh, so we rely primarily on donations and listeners like you. So in order to keep us in the air, why don't you give to radioforbrooklyn.org slash donate. Um, you can also uh, donate by going to, um, by texting RFP Give 5, that's number 544321 to 44321. So RFP Give 5, you can text it to 44321. It takes a moment and you'll be able to use your digital wallet for the donation. Uh, if you shop on Amazon, go to amazon.com slash smile and register Radio for Brooklyn as a nonprofit you wish to support. When you do a percentage of your sales, will go to RB and it costs you nothing. Um, yeah, and then uh, if you're listening on your computer, you can download the apps by going to iPhone or Android Play Stores. And then the RFB newsletter is available at rfbradiofbrooklyn.org slash newsletter. So thanks so much, guys. Uh, we have about like a minute or so. So any last thoughts of where the people can follow you and and where people can find out more information? Yeah. Yeah, so my, my website is just my, my name, AudreyDemola.com, but it's so fun on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all are on Instagram, <laughs> at Audrey Demola. That is where the realest real stuff goes on. Oh, cool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, SocratesSculpturePark.org. You know, we have an incredible exhibition called Monuments Now that'll be up through March. So, and we're open every single day. So I'd love Thank to you. see you guys. Thank you. And cool. Bruce, well, thank thoughts? you. Yeah. This was terrific. Thank you so much, Audrey. Lovely to meet you thank and you, talk more you. with you. Yeah, thank you, you so well. much, guys. Thank you guys right. for having the space for yeah. truth, for real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is a great uh, opportunity for people to also to explore uh, uh, jumping off point some of our conversations about truth to power, about how we embody truth, how we, uh, this is a good grounding, grounding episode for like how we embody truth and how it can empower us in our communities this has been a great conversation. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Okay. All right. 21.